one of the core ideas of Dino for a long time, right, to have this whole battery is included runtime where we're not just a runtime, but we also provide things like formatting and linting and testing and dependency management and documentation generation and a million other things all in the same binary maintained by the same people with the same opinions to sort of give you like a cohesive experience. And it's very nice that we managed to also extend this to this like web framework now because those same ideas that we build Dino with, we also used to build this framework. So like it really nicely integrates with Dino and it has the same like core principles that things should be fast and things should be easy to use and things should not be bloated. This episode is brought to you by Sentry. Build better software faster, diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. More than a million developers in 68,000 organizations already use Sentry, and that includes us. Here's the easiest way to try Sentry. Head to sentry.io slash demo slash sandbox. That is a fully functional version of Sentry that you can poke at. And best of all, our listeners get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. If you're new to the pod, don't forget to subscribe. Head to jsparty.fm for all the ways. And if you're a longtime party animal, thank you. We appreciate you listening. Check out our membership program at changelog.com slash plus plus. Drop the ads, get bonuses like extended episodes, and directly support the show. Thanks to our friends at Fastly for shipping JS Party all around the world to wherever you listen. Check them out at Fastly.com. Okay, you know what time it is. It's party time, y'all. Hello, friends. It is JS Party time. I'm Jared, your internet friend, and I'm joined today by my friend Faraz. What's up, man? Hey, Jared. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Have you played with Dino at all? Just a small bit. Have you built websites at all? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I've got a treat for you today. And for us, I know you built websites. In fact, I was on one of your websites today because I was getting ready to put out last week's JS Party in which we referenced your annoying site, the most annoying site. And I accidentally opened, I thought I'll put it in the show notes because we talked about it on the show. I accidentally opened the site up in my browser and I immediately cursed you <laughs> and the ground you walk on for that. Because, man, <laughs> holy cow, it's still effective, that site. It's still effective. I could barely get the thing to stop opening a new Windows. It even has, like, I tried to do the Apple Pay thing now. I don't know if you've been working on it. I tried to open Apple Pay, and then, like, you should take that site down at some point. But uh, anyways, I know you make websites. Twitter's blocked the URL now. Oh, really? So if you link to it, they just won't redirect? Yeah, they won't let you tweet it. Beautiful. It's been censored. Yeah. Wow, they're really censoring a lot of the people these days. Well, I don't want to censor any longer our guest who hasn't been able to talk yet because we haven't introduced him. It's Luca Casanato from the Dino team. Welcome, Luca. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Fresh off your launch, and I can't avoid a pun, because uh-huh. <laughs> you've launched a fresh new... I heard that one before. Yeah. It's gonna, you're gonna hear it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, you picked the name, not me. I do like it. Yeah, it's a good. I like the lemon based icon as well. Cool stuff. A new web framework for Dino from Dino. It's like an official Dino project, right? Like y'all are building it and supporting it into the future. Awesome. What was the idea? Why? Like, what, what was the 
impetus or the reason why you decided to build this? The original idea was actually not to build a framework. The idea was to just like have like a tech demo to showcase like a bunch of cool features in Dino and like how you can use them together to like make websites essentially. And over time, this turned into, oh, wait, this is actually really nice to use. Like we started building utilities all over the place, which were like nice to use. And it turned out that we could integrate this all together into some sort of like cohesive bundle. And we started using that for some internal projects. The team internally really liked it. So we decided to um, put more effort into it and open source it. I like how the JS community, I guess the TS community as well, what do we call ourselves nowadays, the web, web devs, are starting to embrace just even the term framework. Like we're starting to see frameworks come out. And a long time it was like libraries and routers and packages. And it was very much a build your own thing out of these smaller things. But I think at this point, frameworks are, they're back again, or they're here for the first time, perhaps. I think we're starting to be like, you know what? It's nice to have a lot of things all in one place maintained by a group. And I wonder, was that something you all thought about? Like even the word framework for this thing? Yeah, yeah. One of the core ideas of Dino for a long time, right, to have this whole battery is included runtime where we're not just a runtime, but we also provide things like formatting and linting and testing and dependency management and documentation generation and a million other things all in the same binary maintained by the same people with the same opinions to sort of give you like a cohesive experience. And I think this actually, like, it's very nice that we managed to also extend this to this like web framework now because those same ideas that we build Dino with, we also used to build this framework, right? So like it really nicely integrates with Dino and it has the same like core principles that things should be fast and things should be easy to use and things should not be bloated. Ross, what about your thoughts on frameworks versus libraries? I know you've even very much a bring things together, like make your own decisions. I do like that ethos of like, I'm going to pick, like a craftsman would pick their tools, you know? And I know that you built a lot of websites over the years and it seems like each time we talk about the tech, inside your websites and it's always a little bit different like you pick different things curious what your thoughts are on like the framework movement that's happening currently i'm a huge fan of it actually i i'm starting to lean more toward that direction just it's nice to not have to think about these details when you're trying to solve a problem and to keep your mind at the level of the problem you're solving and not constantly going down into the lower level and trying to tweak the way the routing works or or that you know these kinds of implementation details when you're trying to just solve a problem. So I'm a huge fan of it now and it helps you focus on what you're trying to do, just the actual problem you're trying to solve. Yeah. I feel like very often with a lot of people, it's like they think they don't like it until they start using it. Like they think they don't want the opinionation until they use something which has the opinionation and then they don't want to go back. Right. Because it just, once you've used it, you realize like how much time this saves you by not having to make all these decisions, but have someone else make the decisions for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm from the, the old days of the web where like pre rails, pre Ruby on rails, there wasn't much. And then that really brought like the framework into the forefront. And then there was like a backlash against that in the Ruby world with Sinatra, which is more akin to like express in terms of what it provides. And you could use Ruby on Rails, which is a batteries included framework in the Ruby world, right? To build your web apps. Or you could go the Sinatra route, which was like this super clean, minimal, but beautiful, basically router plus some other things. And if you use that, you would then pull in different things that you need. And I got attracted to that style and I went that way. A couple websites. And what I found myself was like piecemealing together 
Sinatra plus all these other components to basically be my own ad hoc Ruby on Rails. And then, but it was just mine. I'm the only one that, you know, it wasn't along with yeah. the big group of people working on it. You know, like I had all these 17 different plugins in order to recreate that. I think something about that gravity of a bunch of people all putting their work on this one thing, especially when it's supported by like the runtime creators and maintainers is pretty attractive, even though at first it kind of offends your sensibilities of like, hey, I'd rather pick each part. Eventually you start to see like why that's attractive. And so it's pretty cool that I think we're starting to see a lot of people step up and say, let's let's go batteries included and see how that turns out. So Fresh has its own view of the world. Every framework does. Otherwise, why create a new one, right? Just contribute to one that currently exists. Tell us the perspective of the Dino team and the Fresh team on what a web framework in 2022 should look like. Sure. Um, so Fresh is really built to be fast, like fast as in it serves fast websites. And you as a user using a website should have a great user experience and a reliable user experience, even if you're in a slow network or in a slow device. It should not drain your battery. It should try to use the platform for as many things as possible. It shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, so Fresh really tries to not reinvent the wheel pretty much anywhere. It tries to really stick close to things that have already proven popular in other frameworks and that have have shown to be very fast or very reliable for users over the last couple of years. One of them being server-side rendering by default and not shipping megabytes of or, or even hundreds of kilobytes to, of JavaScript to users on every request, but rather shipping them rendered HTML and then hydrating parts of that HTML as is necessary. So that's kind of the, the worldview. Try to make it like fast and small and use things which people are already familiar with and have proven to work well. So no build step, no configuration unless you want to. A lot of the niceties, the zero JavaScript overhead into the client by default, but of course uh, kind of allowing you to opt into more and more of that as need be. So it's a multi-page server-side rendered application. Like as you navigate different pages in your browser, are you loading fresh pages every time? Yeah, exactly. So like there's no client-side routing at all. It's all completely server-side routed. And there's obviously downsides to this, right? Like there's upsides and downsides. There's a trade-off that you have to make. Like if you want to have a very great offline experience, that's not something you can do. Like you need to do more in the client. But most pages are things like blogs or marketing sites or like even applications where like uh, e-commerce sites, which are their applications, right? Like you can, there's a lot of interaction that goes on there, but you don't want them to imagine to buy something. You'd have to like open your web browser or your app store, sorry, search for the, the store that you're trying to buy something from, download their app and then start using that. Like that's sort of how we're building a lot of sites right now, except you don't go to the app store, but instead you type in a URL and then you have to wait like six or seven seconds on your 3G connection or, or 20 seconds for all the JavaScript to download before you like see any anything that's interactive. That's really not a great development. Like we want to push back on that and try to do as much server side as possible and really only ship things to the browser that's absolutely necessary to be in the browser. Mm. Like things that require sub 100 millisecond response times, like changing the color of a input field as you type, like input validation, that kind of stuff. Oh, 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 oh,
This episode is brought to you by Vercel, the platform that enables front-end teams to do their best work. Vercel combines the best developer experience with an obsessive focus on end-user performance. And I'm here with founder and CEO of Vercel, Guillermo Rauch. So Guillermo, I had you on Founders Talk recently talking about making the web faster and how Vercel is built on three pillars, develop, preview, ship. But talk about why it's so important to make the web faster. I think, first of all, the web is the most open and exciting platform to build on. And listeners are going to be enthusiastic about JavaScript, which is one of our areas of focus. We think that by creating amazing tools and open sourcing them, developers will go on to create amazing experiences for the end users. And I think that's where the concept of making the web faster to build and faster to end users. That's the, the crucial mission of Vercel. Uh, this is what's led to us investing all across the board to build the is end-to-end platform. Started with the framework that you develop with, the workflow of pushing up a change and seeing it instantly and being able to share that change with your collaborators. All the way to shipping to the edge network of Vercel that makes your site or application globally fast, globally available. So it's this very comprehensive mission of making the web end-to-end faster and more open. I love it. Globally fast, globally available on a more open web. Learn more at Vercel.com. Again, Vercel.com. were some heuristics around that decision of client-side routing versus server-side routing because it really seems like there are cases where each one has its strengths and i think my view of the world is that server-side rendering and routing i guess as a consequence of that is probably like the 80 20 i think it's the on the 80 side of websites and web apps Whereas client side is probably more on the 20. And if it was me, it's probably like 90, 10, but that's just my view of the world. But I think it's hard to make that call. Have you ever had to decide like, do I do client side, like SPA? Do I do client side routing? Do I do server side? And what are the tipping points that would push you in one direction or the other in terms of like what you're trying to build? I think that with SPAs or, you know, client side routing, single page apps, that that model, you have... Mm -hmm the flexibility that if you do decide you need some of those features, like you do want to have, I don't know, let's say audio playing across page loads. So like you can have music, you know, some audio player playing, even when you click a link right. or something like that, that that stuff's just not even possible in the, in the fully multi-page app model. And so I think some people probably are picking these client side, single page app you know, models for their website, just because of the flexibility of like not knowing whether they're going to need that in the future. And um, not wanting to be trapped, I guess. I felt that myself when I was building BitMidi. I needed that behavior. And so I was forced into this sort of model. But then other times I wanted to do, I wanted to just use like React or Preact and have this nice sort of modern development flow and, but also be able to do server-side rendering and have no client JavaScript. And I felt like it was pretty hard to get, like I was either going to have to go and build a really old school website mm-hmm. or have to take on client-side routing and client side everything. And so it's cool that Fresh is, I, I, I really like that it's like, you get to write your, your app in a modern way and get this sort of like one-way data flow that React and Preact and all that stuff gives you while still getting all the advantages of a multi-page app. So I think this is actually gonna be a really nice sweet spot for folks. Yeah, like I, I always like to, like the example of like 
Figma and like your blog page, right? Like Figma is very obviously something that you need to do client-side rendering for. Like this is something that's impossible to do with, with servers. There's just too much interaction. But something like your blog, this probably does not require server-side rendering at all. And it's like, or sorry, it doesn't require client-side rendering at all. It can be fully server-side rendered. Mm-hmm. And like, it's really difficult to figure out like at what point like is an e-commerce site? Right. Like, is that something you need to SPA, MPA? I think it really depends, like as Fer said, like, on exactly what you want to be doing. Like if there are things that you require an SPA for, then you sort of have to use an SPA, right? But like, I think you should try to default to an MPA and then only go with the SPA route if you really have to, like if there's no other way around it. Yeah, I would agree with that. What's the flow like then for upgrading to an SPA or or going into an SPA once you've started building something in fresh? I see on your site you have this thing called like an island. <laughs> Maybe could you explain a little bit about islands? Because I've never heard. Yeah, yeah. It seems like every so often there's these new words that the JavaScript community kind of invents for new concepts. Like mm-hmm. tree shaking was one a while ago that it felt like we already had a word for it. <laughs> like in C compilers, they, they call that a linker, you know, the linking step. Right. Um, but we had to create a new word. So is, is island something like that? Could you explain what an island is for us? Yeah, yeah. Islands is like... Progressive hydration, essentially. Well, it's not quite progressive hydration. It kind of depends on how you define progressive hydration. The idea of islands is that you do server-side rendering and you enhance, well, with client interaction, only some components of the page on the client. So, for example, you have a blog page with a comment section. You want the comment section to be like highly interactive and client-side rendered, but you want the markdown itself of the blog to be completely server-side rendered. The idea is that that comment section can be an island, which is like client-side rendered, the JavaScript for that is shipped to the client, but the surrounding scaffold does not need to be shipped to the client at all. Like only the mark, the markup itself, the, the HTML needs to be shipped to the to the client. And this, like Jason Miller came up with the this concept of island architectures like two years ago, I think. He wrote a blog post about it. There's a really great illustration on his blog actually about like that really like showcases very well what it looks like, mm. where you have this page and you like very specifically hydrate certain components, but not the entire page. Okay, so an island would be a specific component that you want to hydrate client side. Yeah. Let's take the comments example, because I think I get it, but I might not get it. Is your whole comments section the island, or is each individual comment an island? As everything in software engineering, it always depends, right? Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Let's say you want to update the comments, like you want to live refresh them in the browser as they're being posted you would make the entire comment section an island because then you can like add or remove comments from the list. If instead you want to, let's say each comment has a share button, which opens like a share dialogue and that needs some client-side JavaScript, then like the comment content itself can be server-side rendered, then you could make one island per comment. It's really like the lowest, the smallest component surrounding the interaction, I guess. Okay. So let's imagine a circumstance, the former circumstance. So we have a comments section that we want to be highly interactive. Each comment just like floats in from the side or whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I make my comments component an island, and that means it's client side hydrated. But what about the existing comments that are previously there? So on a typical MPA, server side rendered, you know, if I have seven comments on my blog post and I hit command R to refresh, my server is going to render the HTML for those seven comments. Now, yep. does that still happen, but now you hydrate the interactivity or you're actually just dynamically loading the HTML or JSON, whatever it is, that gets hydrated? You can do either. So by default, what will happen is that it will render the HTML on both the client and the server. 
So the Fresh homepage has like this counter example on like right in the homepage. That counter is server-side rendered, but the server-side renderer has the buttons disabled, for example. So when the client hydrates, it enables the buttons. So you still have the shell there, you don't get like a layout jump, but it's not interactive yet. And it shows that it isn't interactive until the JavaScript is there on the client to like deal with it. But like if you want to render some scaffold on the server that's in your component, you can conditionally check like if I'm on the server, return a scaffold, right? Yeah. Or if you want it crawled, so like maybe I want my comment section crawled, and so I'm going to server-side render it. Yeah. That being said, every time you add a comment, you break my cache, and now I'm dynamically rendering this page more often than I would other be would I I would otherwise, and so there's performance concerns. So it's kind of an it depends all the way down, and it sounds like with the islands architecture, you have the flexibility to make those decisions. Yeah. On a case by case basis. A lot of frameworks like Next.js and Remix, they'll send the entire renderer for the entire page to the client, right? to be able to do client-side navigation and, and routing. And because Fresh does not do any of this, like you can be very, very specific about what you sent to the client. You can really scale it down to as small as you need it to be. And what are the wins for doing that? So the wins are that you ship a lot less JavaScript to the client, right? Like if you have a blog and you use Next.js and you have like use like React Markdown or whatever to render some Markdown into HTML, you do that once on the server, then you ship the entire rendering infrastructure to the client, you ship the markdown to the client, and then you do the rendering again on the client, even though it's already been done on the server. Like, what's the point there, right? Like, that's, that's just wasting CPU cycles on your mobile device. So mm-hmm. the content hasn't changed since the server rendered it versus when the client renders it. So you can avoid that entire thing. So this islands concept is not like a fringe part of Fresh. This is like core to what Fresh is, right? Because I generated a scaffolded app and there's routes and there's islands. Like these are folder names in the structures, islands and routes. And so you're going to be writing some islands, I suppose, when you're using Fresh. Yep. <laughs> okay, Frost, is this an old concept that's been renamed or is this a new concept for you? Because now he's explained what it means. I mean, for me, it makes sense, but I'm not sure if it had like a previous name or if it's actually just been, like, been invented by Jason Miller and, and the JS peoples. It's not ringing any bells for me. I mean, I know there's other frameworks that let you decide whether certain components should run on the client or on the server. I think Meteor even had like something yeah. a long time ago. I don't know what they called it. I think like, my question about islands is just like, how easy is it to go between something being an island and something not being an island? Like, because you have a whole folder there for it. So like if I start making some islands mm-hmm. and then I realize actually I don't want this to be an island, is it a whole bunch of work to go back and forth? Because I would worry about... Nope. I'd almost want it to be just like a Boolean or something that I could turn on and say, yeah. do this on the client or do this on the server. Yeah, and it really is. Like the Boolean is, is it in this folder or is it in, like, is it in your components folder or is it in your islands folder? <laughs> okay. That's it. Like that's the only difference. The files are exactly the same. It's just a regular Preact component. The code is just a regular Preact component. Yeah. Okay. And like the server-side render will automatically figure out when you're importing, and, or actually not when you're importing, but when you're using an island, and it'll only ship the code to the client if you're actually using a given island. So you can have like hundreds of islands, and it'll only send the code for the islands that you're actually using to the client. Okay. So the the framework is just smart enough to know it's in this folder. These are islands, and if it's not, it's not an island. Like that's that's your indicator. Yeah. So drag and drop for us. Just drag it out of that islands folder. <laughs> drop it into the components. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Not the best diffs. Well, I don't know. Like on GitHub, it was... like a Boolean prop or something would be a better diff in terms of like I'm switching it, but you know, trade-offs. I also wonder if you're going to want to be have more flexibility down the line in terms of like how do you deal with an island? Because like you might want to have certain ones where there's not even a server-side render mm-hmm. at all, and it's like 100% client-side. 
or maybe uh, you want some where it blocks the page. Like you want to, this like island is super important. So you want to like, I don't know, send it like pretty urgently down. Or I can imagine somewhere you would say like, don't even like load the code for this until they scroll it into view. Cause this is like a really low priority island. So just save on that JS if they don't even scroll to the comments section, yep. you know, don't even send it. I wonder if you're going to do, if you're going to need to add more options and more, more flags there. And then the islands folder won't be enough. Cause you'd need like islands and then like three other kinds of types of islands. yeah yeah i get it so i think right now what fresh does is it will hydrate the islands as quickly as it can but it'll like still try to yield to the browser as often as it can so you don't like block animation stuff like that but it is actually totally possible that we add an option in the future where you could just like export an options bag from your islands file in your islands folder so the other restriction is that you have to have one island per file in the islands folder so every file is specifically one island. So you can like have an options back there which says this island should only be hydrated once it scrolls into view or once like it should only be loaded on small devices or it should only be loaded when this media query matches or whatever else, right? It's just not implemented because, yeah. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. So the islands folder, then the routes folder. Tell us about routing, how it works. Yeah, so the routes folder is actually very much inspired by Next.js. This is one of these things which it just, like Next.js did an awesome job originally with how the routing worked. Still does, I think. And yeah, it's pretty much, it works the same way. Like it's one file per route. You can like have dynamic routes where you like specify the matcher yourself if you need to do something really advanced. But yeah, it's one file per route and the route can have a component that it renders and it can have a handler. And that handler can do things like data loading. Handlers are really just like async functions, which take in a request and return a response, web request and web response. So you can like do anything you want in there. And at any point in time, you can call the render function. This might not make much sense if you haven't seen the code, but it's right in the documentation if you want to look at it. And you can call that render function that will render out the component into a response. And by default, you don't need to specify this. Like the default for the handler is that it just renders out your component. But like if you want to do data loading, you can do that in there. Or if you want to do like a redirect, you can also do that in there. You can do like anything you want in there. It's just a just an HTTP handler, right? And like you can have different HTTP handlers for post methods and get methods. So you can like handle form submissions that way as well. The routes folder is really you have one file per path, like path matcher you want to match. And inside of there you can declare both a component to render for that page and the handlers for each of the HTTP methods that you want to handle. This is really cool. I like it a lot. It's really elegant. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. You have you have like a handler function that gets called and you can do your data fetching in there. And then you can have the JSX component that gets passed in all the props. This basically come from anything that's matched in the URL. So like props from the URL, like different you know sort of substitutions in the URL. And then also anything that the get handler decides to return. So that's where you can do your, your like fetching stuff from the database or whatever you need to do. That's really cool. Does that mean that this get handler thing runs every single for every single request? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what you can do, and this is not implemented right now, well, it, it is if you put in some muscle work yourself, but you can cache these things as well. You can have something called middlewares, which allow you to essentially intercept routes before they're matched or intercept like large swaths of routes all at once. And then you can do things like caching, for example, if you don't want to re-render on every request. So how would that work if you wanted to like have a page that only you build it only once a day or something like that? You only 
So the idea with Fresh is still that you would have, you always have a server running. Like it's really built to deploy to the edge, to deploy to things like, you know, deploying cloud for workers, where you can render really close, like server-side render close to your users, and where the cost of doing that is very low. So if you want to do something like that, what you would probably do is you'd put a CDN in front of the, like the origin and use like cache response headers to tell the CDN to cache pages for a given amount of time. Which is what we do with changelog.com and it, it works great. I think it's a, actually a really great strategy. It's just server-side render it, but then just cache it for as long as you want at your CDN. Now that assumes that you have a CDN, of course. But what about the data then? So if I have my Dinos running on all these different Cloudflare workers or Dino deploy edges, and I'm server-side rendering a response, but let's say I've got a Postgres database that lives in LaGuardia or something. Mm-hmm. Do they all just connect back to that, or is there a way of making that sucker live close to the edges? It's kind of a loaded question, because I know this is something that lots of people are working on. But I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. It really depends. As, you, as always, it depends. Um, <laughs> Cop out. No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, I, I'm just prefixing this because I'm going to like have answer a bunch of different ways here. So one way of doing this is if you're really read-heavy, you can do global distributed replicas, right? Right. For your data. If your data doesn't change very often, you can do caches. Um, if your data does change very often, you can have use something like CockroachDB, which can run in a bunch of regions across the world. And it can, even in, inside of the same like SQL table, you could have certain rows live in certain regions and certain other rows live in certain other regions. So for example, for users that are in the EU, you'd have their data live in Frankfurt. And if for users in the US, you'd have it live in somewhere in the US, in like Ohio or whatever. And for users in Asia, you could have it live in, I don't know, Singapore or Japan or something like that. Mm. This really depends exactly on what you're doing. Like for a blog, it probably doesn't matter too much. Right? Sure. Like even if you have a comment section on a blog, you could do caching there where if it comment like shows up after 30 seconds versus after none, no seconds, like that doesn't really matter too much, right? Can you render an island by itself? And the reason why I ask that is I'm starting to think about the situation where you have this server-side rendered or cached in the case of what you're saying with put an origin, you know, put put a CDN in front of your origin and cache the response. That works great, except for like lots of websites have just like some sections that are dynamic. Let me change that. Not just dynamic, but personalized mm-hmm. to the like the signed-in user, for example. Yeah. And so that breaks a lot of caching in many places. And you're like, well, I have to render the whole page dynamically because it's different for Luca than it is for Feroz. Mm-hmm. And I can have one that's for everybody who's logged out, but once you're logged in, it breaks. But I think maybe with islands, if you had like certain areas of your site that are personalized, you could potentially have a static version of the HTML, server-side rendered, quote-unquote, but it's the same every time or whatever, cached, and then maybe hydrate just the dynamic personalized portions if you could have an island by itself just be rendered. Is that something people are doing? Yeah, so that's possible. One problem with that is that it you would essentially send back a empty shell to users if they're signed in, right? And you would then fill in that shell using client-side rendering. We much prefer the model where for stuff like this, you just render the page on every request dynamically. We have these edges nowadays, like Dino Deploy is like 34 regions across the world. Uh, you can get like 50 millisecond response time from like anywhere. Like not if you're in like a strip. Yeah, but not if I'm going back to LaGuardia for my data. Like if you think about an app like Facebook, mm-hmm. which I honestly don't know how it works because I haven't used Facebook since like 2008. But I know it has like Messenger. I know it's got your list of friends. It's got your news. Yeah. And like all these things are highly personalized to you, who you are. Yeah. Like all that data, 
needs to get fetched from some database somewhere. Sure. At that point, your edge executions, they're kind of moot, aren't they? Exactly. You need to have your data distributed as well, right? Like if you only have your compute distributed, but not your data, then yeah. like that's not great. And things like CockroachDB, which is Postgres compatible, by the way, does allow you to do this. It allows you to spread data across the world to where your users are so that you can have really fast read and write access to your data, right? And like, if you don't care about write access so much, you can have global replicas. And global replicas will allow you to do really fast reads from anywhere Yeah, at the cost of slightly slower writes because you need to talk to some central database for the writes. This really goes hand in hand with having a, a some robust story on global distributed data. And I think that is actually something that currently we're really lacking. Like we don't really have a, a lot of good options for that. And like I don't want to leak too much stuff, but this is something we are working on for Dino Deploy. And like to have have really awesome globally distributed data where you don't have to think of these trade-offs as much. It'll just like figure it out for you. So you can have like fast read access anywhere to your data. I think that's the goose that lays the golden egg right there. It's interesting to hear that you're working on it. I know Fly.io, for instance, is working on it. I'm pretty sure Cloudflare is working on it. Yeah. I bet Netlify is working on it, et cetera. So exciting. And like you said, there are people like Fauna, Cockroach, who are providing like the data layer for those things. But somebody that pulls it all together into a singular service, I think is a pretty compelling offer at that point. I think until then, like all this other stuff is cool, but you're kind of like, got that one missing piece. You want to tell us more? I mean, you don't want to say too much, but you could say more. That don't want to get you in trouble. He's just smiling at me now. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's take a break right here. We'll tease him. We'll have a cliffhanger. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Square is the platform that sellers trust. There is a massive opportunity for developers to support Square sellers by building apps for today's business needs. And I'm here with Shannon Skipper, head of developer relations at Square. Shannon, can you share some details about the opportunity for developers on the Square platform? Yeah, absolutely. So we have millions of sellers who have unique needs and Square has apps like our point of sale app, like our restaurants app, but there are so many different sellers, tuxedo shops, florists, who need specific solutions for their domain. And so we have a Node SDK written in TypeScript that allows you to access all of the backend APIs and SDKs that we use to power the billions of transactions that we do annually. And so there's this ma massive market of sellers who need help from developers. They either need a bespoke solution built for themselves on their own Node stack, where they are working with Square Dashboard, working with Square Hardware, or with the Ecom, you know, what you see is what you get builder. And they need one more thing. They need an additional build. And then finally, we have the app marketplace where you can make a node app and then distribute it so it can get in front of millions of sellers and be an option for them to adopt. Very cool. All right. If you want to learn more, head to developer.squareup.com to dive into the docs, APIs, SDKs, and to create your Square Developer account. Start developing on the platform Sellers Trust. Again, that's developer.squareup.com. So Luca, who should use Fresh and who shouldn't? Maybe that's the more important question. Who is Fresh not for today? 
Yeah, so if you're Figma, then don't use Fresh because you've already built an awesome product and you should not be using Fresh. If you're like an established large company and you have a established, great, very performant website, then what's the point of switching, right? Like you already put in all the effort. If you were personally thought, oh, I was going to start a podcast, I still need a website for my podcast. And obviously the difficult part with doing a podcast is not the podcast itself, but it's writing. It's the website. The website for the podcast, right? Obviously. So that's something you could totally do. Um, do your blog, uh, marketing pages, e-commerce sites, anything Greenfield like that. That's, I think, something great you can use Fresh for right now. If you have something which is really highly interactive and you require client-side rendering, then Fresh isn't what you're looking for. Then you want something which is better suited to doing a lot of client-side rendering, like Remix, for example. But like most pages in that like 80-20 rule thing that we were talking about earlier that are mostly static or have little eyelids of interactivity, you can use Fresh for. So would you say that Fresh is production-ready? Yeah. A lot of our DinoLand properties run on it, like Dino.land, Dino.com examples.dino.land, the website for the linting tool. I'm probably forgetting like half of them, but there's a bunch of sites which are running them. Like Fresh is serving millions of requests every day successfully. It's very much ready to use for actual uh, production traffic. That does not mean we're done developing it though. There's still features we're adding and improvements we're making, and I'm sure there will still be bugs, but it's stable enough that we trust to run on it completely. Yeah. What about breaking changes? If I port all my apps to it right now. Which Frost is actually doing right now as we talk. He's, you can see him typing. He's actually porting yeah. immediately. <laughs> if I do that, what would happen? If you port all of your sites, then I will make sure to publish a breaking change tomorrow. If anyone else does it, I won't. No, <laughs> no it's 1.0. We went 1.0. I'm not planning to do a 2.0 tomorrow, nor am I planning to do a 2.0 in the next three months or six months or nine months probably even. Like Dino has been out for two years now. It's still in the 1.0 release branch, or sorry, 1.x release branch, like we're 1.24 right now. And the reason we managed to do that is because we really thought long and hard about these the API stability before we released 1.0, and we did the same with Fresh. So we're hoping that the API is going to be strong enough to have real people using it and not break. And if there are things that will change, they'll change in, in a backwards compatible way, so to not break your applications. What kind of stuff is missing? When I think of batteries included, I think of things like testing harnesses, deployment stories, form builders. I think of things like CSRF protection and like various things that generally are the kind of smaller batteries that get added later when things more mature. But at 1.0, like what are some major stuff that's missing? If I do pick it up for my blog or my e-commerce site or to rewrite BitMidi for Feras, what kind of stuff am I have to you know go out and find or build my own? Yeah, so the, the things that are really included right now is routing, templating, and data handling. What is not included right now is anything related to data persistence. So that's something that we're going to be working on. The story around styling, around CSS, it works, but it's not great yet. There's definitely going to be improvements there. And the story around being able to talk between islands, so client-side rendered code and the server dynamically, to do like data fetching from the server dynamically, that's also going to be improved in the future very much. So those are like the, the three big things that are coming up pretty quickly here. And then like our deployment story is already pretty fantastic. Like you can deploy to Dino deploy with no configuration and like deploys are instant because there's no build step. So it's literally you push something to a Git branch and it gives you the green checkbox immediately with a link to click on. 
but we're still working on some features here. What if I have Stockholm syndrome for build steps? Like, what if I really, really want one? Actually, that's also totally possible. You can use GitHub Actions. <laughs> yes. But I would urge you to see a doctor if you like build steps. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been running them for so many years now. You're kind of like, you feel naked without a build step. You're like, wait a second. Yeah. I'm just going to like ship this code as it is to production. Yeah, it's been like really fantastic not having a build step because like originally this started out as we just wanted to have so fast deploys that anything to do with the build step would just be too slow for the deploys for Dino deploy this is. So we just originally didn't have any support for doing any sort of build step and this sort of like we had to get very creative in how to do certain things to be able to like support these modern use cases that people have without a build step. And I think it's been pretty successful so far. Like we have a way to do build steps now using GitHub Actions if you want to, but it's like really nice to not have a build step. It's like insanely fast. None of our internal sites use build steps because I don't know. I like pushing code and then immediately having like my, my production or well, preview deployment, I guess. Yeah. I'm being 100% facetious. I do not want to build step and I would love to get rid of build steps. I'm from the days where you used to just say script source equals and then you just put your like yeah. app.js <laughs> locally referenced and wrote your code in there. And it was a beautiful thing. And then our apps got bigger and bigger and it became cumbersome and unwieldy. But when it works, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm very excited to have this new trend back towards no build step. And because it's Dino, your TypeScript just works. Yeah, TypeScript JSX. And then because it's Dino, your JavaScript just works. Yes, also that works. So I noticed it does generate .ts files. Can I turn that off? You can't actually in the fresh in it thing, but um, <laughs> you can manually rename all your files to JavaScript if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that might be kind of satisfying. Just go in there like, just JavaScript, please. Script out, yeah, rip out all the types. But yeah, I don't know. Types are nice. That's what everyone keeps telling me. Yeah. I was like against TypeScript for a long time, but now I'm actually for it, at least for apps. Like working with other people with types is actually pretty nice. Building your blog? Building your blog with types? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not necessary. But like, okay, so what's the reason you think that's not necessary? Because it's too difficult to set up or because it's like too much overhead to think about? Because it's not it's not solving a problem that I have generally. Oh, okay. On a blog. For me, TypeScript, like I don't even care about the type checking so much as I do about the editor completions. Like for me, the editor completions are the really great thing with TypeScript that like I can just type up some code and get really nice completions. Maybe that's just me though. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I think it's not just you. I think a lot of people like that. I think that's cool. It doesn't like sell it for me. But I mostly am a TypeScript hater by occupation because Nick Nisi <laughs> is the the TypeScript fanboy on the show and so therefore I must be his antithesis. Mm. And so I can't actually like it by fiat. So you're not going to convince me because it would be going against my entire purpose of being here. Okay. So once we're on break again, you will switch to <laughs> loving TypeScript. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. Faraz was on my team for a very long time, but he's recently switched. In fact, I think everybody has. I think I'm the only one left. Actually, Chris Hiller likes to use the JS doc style typing, but he doesn't like actual TypeScript. So I still have him as a holdout, but I really don't have much of a basis. I mostly just joke around about it. My objection is usually around like just the amount of overhead it takes to get going, which I think Dino solves. Like Exactly. That's why I had to just say this, because this does solve it. Like Getting started was, and getting it all rigged up. Okay, so that's stuff that's missing. We talked about who should use it, who should not use it. What about the community? So it's like very much a Dino company kind of building this thing, but is it like mm -hmm. hands off Dino's building this thing? Or is it like, hey, come contribute. We want to like 
form a community around it? Is there a governance model, et cetera? Yeah, so it's open source. Anyone can contribute. Just to give you a frame of reference of what the interactivity here is from the community, like every day I wake up today, I have like, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 open PRs and like 30 new issues on the repo to deal with. And then I, like, I spend the first five hours of my day merging community PRs and replying to issues and GitHub discussions and whatever. So like there's a lot of community interest here and people are actively contributing. And actually one of the people that is working on Fresh is, does not work with the Dino team at all. He just like liked the project and started contributing to it. And yeah, if you have awesome ideas for things to improve, just post an issue on the issue tracker or we chat very actively on our Discord, discord.gg slash Dino. There's a Fresh channel there which where people come up with ideas and then we'll discuss them and figure out how to implement them together. Love it. Well, you've piqued my interest. You've given us a little bit of the lay of the land. I definitely want to give this a shot. I've given Dino a little bit of a try, and I've appreciated it for what it is. I haven't had a good excuse to use it in any sort of non-toy capacity, so I'm just kind of waiting for that opportunity. And usually that's a web app. And so I think I even said on the show maybe six or eight months ago, like what Dino needs is a web framework. And uh, it turns out y'all were working on it, so that makes me feel like a smart human. But maybe you guys are the smart humans. The killer app problem. Yeah. Maybe I just stay in the obvious and you guys are, are the smart ones. For us, any other questions for Luca or thoughts on Fresh before we call the show? No, I think this is awesome. I love that it uses Preact. I love that it seems really well thought out and it's minimalist and there's no build step. This is cool. Nice work. Thank you. Luca, any final words? Anything else we want to say to the JS Party community before we let you go? Thanks for having me. And if you want to Try it fresh, go to like fresh.dino.dev and uh, give it a spin. And if you have any thoughts, just let us know. Good or bad. I love good thoughts too. <laughs> good or bad. I'll let you get back to your 21 open pull requests and your 52 open issues. You definitely have people interested, which is a blessing and can be a curse from time to time, but at least this is your job. So that's a spectacular thing. We will have the links to all the things fresh dino we'll have jason miller's islands architecture post in your show notes so there's a great place to follow up with the things discussed on today's episode on behalf of Faros, i'm jared luca thanks for being here this has been js party and we'll talk to you all next time What are your thoughts on Fresh? Gonna try it on for size? Or is there something holding you back? Let us know in the comments. There's a link to the discussion thread for this episode in your show notes. Subscribe now if you haven't yet. Head to jsparty.fm for all the ways. And be sure to connect with us on the socials. We are at jspartyfm on Twitter. We're also on Insta, YouTube, even LinkedIn. Gross, right? Just search for changelog. Come say hi. Thanks again to our partners at Fastly for having our CDN covered, to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for keeping our beat supply all topped up, and to you for listening. We appreciate you. Next week is our big front-end feud battle between Shop Talk Show and the CSS Podcast. I won't spoil it, but I will tell you this. It all comes down to the final round of play. Get psyched. It's a fun one, and we'll have it ready for you next week. 